found it, the Japan What Podcast. Coming at you over the back end of Tokyo. I am your host, Matt Bigelow. And 120 is not here today. He is on assignment. Uh, instead, we have my good friend uh, from way back when, over 20 years, going to the early days of social media before it was social media, Rory Wilmer. And he's written a book called Social Media in the Seven Deadly Sins. I believe I got that right. I have page, oh, yeah, Social Media and the Seven Deadly Sins by Rory Wilmer. He joins us today on the podcast to discuss the book, the ins and outs of what's going on there. I don't want to reveal too much off the top in case I, I blow his cover or a gasket. So, Rory, thank you for joining the Japan What podcast today. Hi, Matt. It's great to be back on the show. How are you doing? Looking good, mate. Yeah, you too. Uh, we did a, an episode uh, a couple years ago almost now, and we were kind of covering um, social media and uh, a little bit of the AI stuff and how it influences the world. I'm sure we're going to get into that later because there's a lot of automation in terms of uh, social media trying to rile people up these days and create weaponized flash mobs. Uh, which is something I've been worried about for many years when I realized that um, social psychologists were turning our social media platforms into a, a, a type of, you know, rage addiction of the, of whatever, whatever they want that to be and finding segments of the population that will just fall for it hook, line and sinker. Um, so, okay. So we have social media and the seven deadly sins, I believe that you are, as you describe in the book, um, an atheist. Uh, so what's with uh, this um, approach to an atheist uh, culturally appropriating the Bible? I don't know why I'm being aggressive here, but there we go. No, why not? Let's start like this. I mean, wrath is one of the chapters that we obviously cover in the seven deadly sins of social media. Um, and it, I just added, it is available on Amazon, uh, paperback, hardback, and free on Kindle Unlimited. And it is available even in Japan. So, you know. I, I checked it out Thank earlier you. on, uh, on, on, on uh, Amazon.co.jp and it was there. And then there are this free on Kindle. That's for sure. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So th thank you, Jeff Bezos. And every copy you buy, I get hardly anything and it helps Jeff go on fun trips into orbit. So, you know, good for him. He's the real winner. So thank you, Jeff. Fun really Mr. Bezos's penis mobile by going exactly, to Amazon and reading about how crazy the social media is. To be honest, who wouldn't want to go a few kilometers up on a massive penis-shaped uh, rocket? I mean, that's every boy's dream, isn't it? So Yeah, exactly. Minus <laughs> the penis part, because that's, that's wow. weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. so, uh, I, we're, I have some notes, um, we're going to talk about that's this okay. Book. I mean, you asked, let's, let's go into it. I mean, it is. So why don't you decide on the seven deadly sins? Uh, cause you know, I'm referring to the beginning of the book yep. where you say I'm an atheist and there's seven deadly sins with social media. So what's with the uh, framing of this, uh, of, of these well, chapters? It was, um, it's important for me to say that I didn't write this book from a religious point of view. Um, where where it came from is that, you know, in my day job, um, for all my sins, um, I've been analyzing social media data for major brands for, um, I guess, the past decade now or so. And a lot of the work that we do is to, I wouldn't say manipulate people, but to nudge or encourage people towards 
not even buying products, but just to um, push them towards let's this fake concept of brand loyalty or brand awareness, you know, making people aware of what we do and doing that through uh, content and specifically targeting content or topics or themes at people that we know ultimately, I guess, that's going to trigger them in one way or another, be it good, be it bad, mostly good. Um, obviously, you know, I don't work for any shady, dark businesses, um, but there's a lot out there. And uh, let's say governments who have mastered the dark arts of this type of nudge theory as well. Um, some of it being full frontal shoving, not exactly subtle in the nudge. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I started to do is I started to wanted to investigate um, this idea around engagement, you know, engagement is a buzzword that's used in marketing. I'm sure we're all aware of it from our social media channels as well. Um, but ultimately, there's different types of engagement. Um, the, the kind of easy passive thing is that we just we just consume content. You don't have to click anything, but it's there on your timeline. You have your thumb reflex when you're scrolling through your content and something just makes your thumb flick up and you just pause and hover over something that catches your eye. It could be a headline, could be an image, could be some moving image. But there is this reflex yes. going on. Yeah, and you know, through, through a day, you scroll through enough content that if you actually stacked it up, it could uh, ultimately be as high as the Eiffel Tower. So that's the type of length that we're talking about of what you're scrolling through. And as you say, yeah, something pops up, it makes triggers your thumb. And for those few fractions of a second, you know, you'll pay attention to something because there's so much content on social media that's a little bit overwhelming. But we, as um, the beings that we are, the sentient beings with these uh, these things that we call thumbs um, and these things that we call fingers, um, obviously they're what Elon Musk, we mentioned him off the call, but we may as well mention him. It's what he wants to do with Neuralink is actually take away this bandwidth issue. You know, because what slows us down is perhaps our fingers when we're typing or scrolling. If we could just consume yeah. it straight. Of course, Neuralink is, the, is his, his idea of a brain-computer interface where threads would exactly. be implanted into your brain next to where um, high activity is located and trans that into a digital signal so that you'd be able to interface with AI at the speed of AI. That was his idea that uh, he was talking about. I guess, about. and ultimately, he just wants to write his tweets even quicker. He just wants to think his tweets, which could be even more dangerous than he already is on Twitter, I'm That's sure. That's right, yeah. Um, so, um, you know, what I'm getting at, though, is like as we've evolved, I guess, over the last 20 years with digital technologies and predominantly moving over to more use on mobile phones as opposed to onto desktops, um, and as we've got used to social media content and the, the payback of social media content being that the service is free to use, but to use it, we are shown adverts. We've developed um, inbuilt ad blockers, just natural ad blockers within our brains. So we can look at a web page or we can view a social media site. And within a fraction of a second, a millisecond, we can determine what is an advert and what isn't. Yeah, so we can actually block this content subconsciously without even realizing it. So a big job for, uh, I guess, the advertising industry or marketeers, digital marketeers, whatever this term means, because it's still all a bit, uh, can I say bollocks? Like, oh, um, yeah, this is a freedom of speech platform. I've become a free speech absolutist good. recently, uh, openly. So okay, whatever you want to say. Yeah, go Thank for you it. very much. I wouldn't want to upset your wonderful sponsors in the t Tennessee whiskey industry. There, That's but, uh, right, yeah. <laughs> the syrupy goodness so, doesn't mind. I think what I'm getting at, like, is, um, you know, we 
we know what 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 is the what is an ad and what isn't. So how do we get people's attention? Well, we have to get people's attention by trying to uh, uh, let's say submerse them or uh, fake pull them. Their, fake them, fake it till you make it. We need to grab their attention, and we need to do it by showing them content that we think they're going to be more interested in. A little now we can know that. Mind. Yeah, we can we can we can know what people are interested in by their behavior on social media. So just by hovering over something for a fraction of a second more, well, that actually sends a signal to the Facebook that oh, they're a bit more interested in this than everything else. Yeah. So it starts to categorize us without even realizing it. You've been categorized into thousands of different categories. Um, based on interest topics as broad as, say, something like geography, right down to something as narrow as a particular brand or flavor of cereal or marshmallows or a K-pop band, whatever it is. Price points as well. Tens of thousands, millions of categories. Now, what Facebook has done is categorize us a bit sporadically, like we're put into many categories which actually are probably not at the core center of our interests, but that helps Facebook to make more impressions, to make more money because advertisers are thinking that they're making impressions on people um, who are interested in it. It's not just Facebook that does this. Google obviously does it. Twitter does it. LinkedIn, they all do it. Yeah, it's the same principle. It's a bidding auction system of showing content and adverts to people based on demographic um, and psychographic data. Okay, so obviously part of my job is to try and, you know, trigger people to engage. This engagement can be just looking at it, but nine times out of 10, you want people to click on something. You want them to click out to a website. You want them to redeem an offer. You want them to make a to make a comment, to make a conversation, because if you can trigger conversation, well, wow, you know, then you know you start getting into this idea of virality and actually organic reach, which is still a thing if you know how to do it. Um, it's not just all paid, but you can promote something to kick off a conversation, and then that can take on a life of its own. Um, and ultimately, the same is with sharing things. When people share things, it's like a recommendation. It's like word of mouth. Yeah, people are recommending a piece of content. There's a few different types of people that we see. Predominantly, most people now on social media, I would say, are passive. They become passive. They just consume content. So the engagement has actually been been dropping uh, overall, especially on certain platforms for certain industries. News and media is still right at the top with the amount of content going out and the amount of engagement that it's getting. But for other types of industries like auto, fashion, you know, it's it's kind of dipped a little bit as far as I can see. I think a lot um, of people in those more niche markets are finding um, ways outside of the major platforms to find what they yep. need. They might see something on a major platform and then go investigate it on their own. Um but I, I think that with news, I remember that Facebook uh, was like merged with the news in 2015. And that was one of the first yeah. major uh, news feed. E- events that happened where Facebook would take the algorithm uh, and take your feed that you'd been building up for years. You know, for me, when I was doing, I was doing a lot of music at the time and you would be able to like have this thing where it's like, Hey, here's my algorithm and it's my feed. And I'm, putting music out there to these people who want to see it. And then overnight Facebook goes, Nope, now we're showing you news. And then the next time they go, Nope, now we're just going to show you your friends from high school and your closest members of family. So it totally overnight in a couple of steps changed the entire reason for me to use and engage with Facebook. And I, I still do it. I engage with Facebook. My reason for doing though is, is, is not based on trust at all anymore. 
Yeah. It's, it's, people have become a lot more, I'd say, suspicious of it and a little bit more wary in some circumstances, um, but not everyone. And we've seen a demographic shift of social media now, whereas in the beginning, it was more of a, a younger demographic of people using it but now it seems uh, an older demographic of like my parents or even grandparents or even, even us in, we're not young anymore when we were in our I'm 20s afraid to say we're not when, yeah, when we exactly. were in our 20s where we were engaging in um, the flip side uh which was a forum a very influential forum at the time uh mm-hmm. but now it's 20 22 years later we're in our 40s we're not young yeah. anymore so it's the same kind of technology it's the same looks like you're wearing the same hoodie but i mean it's there's 20 years 20 year time span man exactly. you, know, you got like 500,000 uh you know tiktokers competing to be some sort of brand ambassador for for dior yeah. in, in brunei uh, it's a very different scene now Exactly. And, you know, we're of that generation, um, we would say Generation X, um, where we we are born into a world pre-internet. But then as we were becoming teenagers, the internet was invented. And as the internet developed, um, so did then mobile computing and mobile phones. So we're of the generation where we've gone, born into the analog world and then transgressed into the digital world. So we've been the main people behind it really and the people who run the big social networks are the people of our generation yeah too, I, re- same, I really hate age. my generation actually because we screwed it up <laughs> we just turned everybody into phone addicts <laughs> in a sense and i mean so let's let's get to this about the uh about the sins and my position as an atheist you know I, I'd, for, for me as i was like investigating what's really driving engagement um it became more and more apparent that actually vices were the main drivers of social media engagement. Yeah. It was the main part of our behavior. You know, angry people click more. This is this is the thought that I started with. It's been proven. It is a real thing. You see, when people are angry on social media or online, it creates far more engagement than when people <laughs> are not so angry, let's say. Yeah. Um, so I started to, to look at it from this lens. And as I started to go through the sins, I was like, actually, I can find so many examples for each of them, both out there in the real world and from my own experience, that maybe there's something to this. And actually, where we're going wrong with social media is that we're falling into this trap because the people who run the sites, their goal is to keep us on the platform for as long as possible because the longer we're on the platform, the more money they make, yeah. Okay, the more adverts they can serve. It's really that simple. Really and that's why we've got ourselves into a, a point, a state where we've been for the last few years, especially when we come to things like fake news. I mean, you've mentioned, you've mentioned the news um, and how the news feed changed and how Facebook, for example, became more of a media outlet than it did sharing photos of your drunken parties with friends and whatnot and connecting with old classmates or using it to promote your own little brand and your own little scene yeah Yeah. your own thing your own little creative thing or just to hook up with other groups and communities who are doing something similar or to connect to people around the world where you might want to sell kind of like what mastodon is like today yeah the collaboration it became more less about collaboration and more about confrontation whereas zuckerberg their idea is that it brings the whole world together um, it's like a little bit naive because um, all what, together what, in one wonderful gulag. 
one big rainbow around us all holding hands. Well, it, the world isn't like that anyway, okay? So it's an incredible thing that they've done. And I don't think they started it with bad intentions. Although, you know, we know Zuckerberg ultimately started Facebook because he got stood up on a date and he was drunk and angry and he wanted to, you know, start terrorizing ex-girlfriends. So um, that, that is basically what gave us Facebook, the face mash. So... Thank, thank you, Zuckerberg, for your misogynism and your, your resentment towards I listened to the, a podcast with uh, Lex Fridman, who is a AI guy, and Mark Zuckerberg. And I could only stand about five minutes of listening to Mark Zuckerberg because he's just a sales guy. It's he this this Facebook platform is is causing all untold like it doesn't really do anything good. Nobody uses it for good anymore. But the entire time, he's just talking about how great Facebook is, uh, not reading the room, you know? So I was like, this guy is just, he's a shyster. He's the, he, but he's not even a good shyster, but he's so rich. It's insane. He's crazy rich. And he, ultimately, he's, you know, his idol is Caesar. He's obsessed with Greek um, empires and um, the game civilization. So what could possibly go wrong? Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, I think that's the way he thinks. Um, but anyway, you know, there's a lot written about him. Um, this book wasn't just to focus about Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, but obviously it plays a big part of it. Because I would say Facebook is your greatest uh, target in the book. Um there's there's more um, consistent criticism throughout the book of Facebook as a platform than other other entities or other other networks. You mentioned the other networks and how stupid people are on them, but I have some questions about that we could go through. But it seems mm-hmm. like Facebook is the one that um, is is the number one on your list. Is that is that true? And if so, why? Um, I guess now you put it like that, um, it probably would come out. One reason was is that I was given access to what's called the Facebook Files. It's a great project from an American university, which I'm sorry I've forgotten off the top of my head, but I'll pull out the credit in a moment because it's in it's in the book. Um, but what they've been doing is um, cataloging, um, archiving every single statement that Zuckerberg's ever made and every statement and press release that's ever ever come from Facebook. So I was given access to this massive library archive um, of the Facebook or the Zuckerberg files, as they call them. Um, I was going through it. And for me, a turning point was obviously the Cambridge Analytica scandal, because this is just the tip of the iceberg. And it seems to, it seems to have gotten away with it, and they will get away with it, because they've basically made so much money that when they are faced with any data privacy issue, or even if they break the law of fallen foul of any types of uh, rules, laws, or morality issues, they can just buy their way out of it, and it doesn't really impact them whatsoever. We can see recently with the rebranding to Meta, this is all part of the the bigger strategy that he has to take us into the Metaverse, which is a load of yeah, no, nobody to, wants you know, to go. Nobody wants to it's go. It's so cringe. You know, it I don't is. Know if it's very cringe. The latest meta promotional just, videos. Just to go back to a second anyway. to the, the but, Cambridge Analytica thing. Cambridge Analytica was a scandal that involved uh, the Trump uh, election campaign and how Trump the campaign Trump's campaign hired Cambridge Analytica to basically run psychographic analysis of uh, real-time data that he would be saying and iterate that to the people uh, to either promote himself or, or or slam Clinton to people on social media. Uh, that's yeah. that's kind of how it worked. It was an ad campaign 
Uh, and it just used the most modern technology at the time in a way that hadn't been used before. And Cambridge Analytica now is not really a thing, but I'm pretty sure Facebook probably just backdoored it and is, is running its own version of it by now. Well, anybody at Facebook, the data scientists that they have there are well aware of um, what can be done. I mean, if you take another a step back even before that, the previous elections, um, Facebook did an experiment where they allowed um, people to put a badge on their profile in the US elections to say that they'd voted. And what they found is by just basically putting this badge on your profile to say you'd voted, they were able to increase voting for particular candidate in certain areas because they were doing controlled tests on it. So they were able to um, increase voter turnout and even uh, realizing that they could actually tip an election one way or the other. Cambridge Analytica scandal is even a little bit darker than that because even Steve Bannon and others are involved in the creation of the company. So they gave it this great name, Cambridge Analytica. Analytica to give it this highbrow thing. It was set up in the UK. It's fantastic um, were, branding. It was very good because it sounds very smart so they could charge a lot of money for what they did. But ultimately, where they got the data from, it was from Facebook, but um, they did it for a backdoor. They were they went through a university professor who'd been given, um, uh, let's say, a key, uh, uh, an API key that was he's able to access the data. But he created um, one of these... Um, let's say psychographic experiments, psychology experiments, where you you do these stupid quizzes on Facebook thinking that it's just a fun quiz, but actually what it allowed the quiz master to do was leech all the data from their profile, but not just their data, all their friends' data too. So just, just by getting a few thousand people playing this quiz, they were able to amass millions and millions of profiles of psychographic data. Now what Cambridge Analytica were able to do was to process it um, and then start to um, target people in the election based on it. But, you know, Facebook data is is good, but it's not that good. But they were able to drill down and find out in certain districts, you know, um, Wu-Tang Clan would have more influence <laughs> over certain voter types than other types of posts. So they were able to create content, exactly what I was talking about, that would appeal to people and to trigger them. And they were also able to manipulate certain issues, but which are general issues that are known in the States, but really target them geographically when it would come to issues of race or um, class or any type of confrontation. As well as time, they were able to understand when people would, in certain areas in in districts in California, when, based on their location, what types of jobs Mm -hmm. they would have and when when they would or would not be working and then serve ads to those people at those different times. So it definitely helped the Trump campaign. The Trump campaign uh, digital team was pretty good anyway, but with this yeah. extra insight, they they basically blew Clinton out of the water. Um, their, their, their digital strategy looked incredibly weak in comparison. And you can just see it um, when it comes to the results, the amount of reach that Trump created, the amount of mentions that he created, the amount of likes that he got. Um, it was 10 times maybe more than Clinton. So even the social Hillary data Clinton was did showing him as a winner. So. She did call her 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 I team techno experts. Yeah, but they, they unfortunately, they weren't the same team that worked for Obama who were basically the first people to really, really um, refine this and actually um, make it work. 
so it, it was in the um, Obama's second election where Facebook, I think, did this experiment. Um, so yeah. we know Facebook has been manipulating elections for a long time already, even before Trump arrived. It's not just in the States. Cambridge Analytica was um, working for all types of despots and dictatorships around the world, um, manipulating um, elections and political issues in Malaysia and Africa and all around the globe, wherever there was a, some type of conflict going on. They seem to pop up and we're able to provide the, the Facebook posts to help um, push it one way or the other. Um, so, you know, this is what I'm getting at. Angry people click more. So um, this whole thing about vices, um, you know, the seven deadly sins came about for humankind when we were kind of transitioning through the dark ages. Okay. So it's not like it's just purely some biblical text. It, it was... It was a basic guide that I think we needed as humankind um, to stop being a bunch of savage assholes. No kidding, you know, yeah, you know, it was. They call it the Dark Ages for a reason. It was, it was, it was pretty dark. Yeah, there was yeah. some nasty shit going on. We had empires collapsing. We had people left to their own devices, and you know, some pretty nasty things happening. You'd have and people we don't know. who had no no memory or recollection of architecture, living next to castles and aqueducts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so this is this is where this came as a guide. Now, for every vice, there's a virtue. And this is obviously something which is going to, I think, going to be the next book. I've already been discussing it, is the seven virtues of social media. I touch on it at the end of the book, you know, because it's not all bad what happens on social media. But I think what we've let happen to ourselves is that we've we've let ourselves be hijacked. We've become addicted to social media. Yeah, this works through this basic idea of uh, every time you get a no notification or a, a positive social input or social interaction that it it can release um, some type of dopamine hit in the body. So some people dispute this now, but I'm still of the feeling that no, that there is a, there is a connection between a dopamine hit. Anybody who's ever had a phone in your pocket and starts to feel the phantom vibration of your phone ring, like giving you a notification, and it hasn't. Well, come on. There's something going on. I there. turn it all it's, off. It's I turn it all yeah. off. It's all off. But, I, I have to I manually media, you know? check yeah. it every time. I don't have yeah, any me, me notifications. I don't have any either. Um, this is the basic ring or a message from a certain uh, my wife or my parents that I want to stand out. Everything else is turned off. Even that. Even that's just no. <laughs> maybe if i'm on if i'm going drinking but it very rarely happens these days i um, know uh, yeah we have kids now. <laughs> no drinking so you know but it's not just like um social medias we might think instagram facebook twitter you know youtube creeps into this a little bit but that's uh, maybe a different beast and for for another conversation but even gmail and google mail and free emails are designed in the same way to get this positive social interaction this this um reinforcing messages through notifications to keep you coming back to keep checking your emails make sure you're not missing anything and keeping you in the ecosystem yeah in the google ecosystem because no matter where you are in the ecosystem while they're tracking you and we're leaving this breadcrumb of data exhaust behind us um which to begin with on the internet journey people thought this was um useless data and there's too much of it but, you know, Google came along and started collecting it all from the very beginning. And 10, 20 years later, they're able now to still use this data exhaust. I used to teach the, uh, a the big the data uh, executive for a telecommunications company. I didn't teach it for very long, but 
Yeah, they take it very seriously. You know, he had like 13 giant awards for big data on his desk that he would mm. just leave there. And, um, so you asked me about the Facebook thing, maybe why I I, I, I kind of target it the most in the book. I think it's because it, it probably has the most uh, responsibility in um, causing so much harm to people. I and mean, it's done... It's done I don't think it, there are some good things that have come from it, but I think it it does more bad than it does good. It's not and that big in the, Japan. Twitter is bigger in Japan than Facebook, yeah. for example. So no, it's not like it's the Twitter, biggest thing. At least Twitter, it was, you know, there's this. You have the Harvard elites, yeah, like Zuckerberg and the Harvard crew who who, who create Facebook. But then you have the the San Francisco and like um, hipsters and lefties, which is. Jack Dorsey and crew who made Twitter. So you have two very different types of mindsets here who could create two very different platforms. Um, so at least at some point, I would be more forgiving to Twitter thinking, well, they still want to try and be this open open site. They, they allow pedophiles to talk about boy love. And, you know, not that that's a good thing. I'm just saying that they try <laughs> to be free speech as they possibly could um they tried to be open with their api and let people develop bots and you know they they weren't as restrictive as facebook um they seem to be a little bit more focused on they also have the lightning network for bitcoin transactions yeah i mean they're a bit more focused on trying to do trying to provide something that is actually useful however there's many bad sides to Twitter. Um, it, you know, the anonymous side of it can be a big issue. I don't mean anonymous the hacking group, just the fact that you can anybody can make a profile and try and hide behind it. So it, that's created a lot of harm and a lot of bullying, a lot of damage, a lot of trolling for people that can get actually really vicious. Um, it's also allowed a lot of, um, let's say, threat actors and um, state apparatus to uh, manipulate and hijack the platform Um when it comes to this whole concept of fake news, whatever that is, um, that's still open for debate. It's Your also used by spies by and stuff like that right, right. To, to signal to each other certain things that are going on in the world. It can't be the mist like how we used to use um, draft emails, just leave a message in the draft inbox, yeah. just, you know, uh, but someone soon sussed that one out. But um, so, and you know, and Instagram, okay, Instagram's the same thing. Instagram was started with a great, concept um it was very pure um it was just a way to share photography and they you know the founders of instagram um i think had a great vision it's such a great product um but unfortunately as soon as you get swept up into the facebook ecosystem put on the facebook system um zuckerberg gets rid of the management or he forces them out through his his management um how to say his, his management style, yeah, um, or mismanagement, we should say. So we and were he thinking for, that he, maybe he forces, you would just weaponize your platform because that will create more content for a better world. Ultimately, and we serve more adverts. So, And then he started to use it to try and destroy competition. So weaponize in that sense that any other competitor that would come up like Snapchat or anybody else, he would just like clone the features and try and blow the competitors out of the water. He'd always offer to buy the competitors, but when they refuse, he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to destroy you. He's basically um, Bill Gates of Microsoft, right? Um, Expand and embrace was, was my, Bill, Bill Gates's... Uh, I'm not talking about like the conspiracy mm. Bill Gates. I'm no, just no, talking no. about oh, the know. CEO Bill Gates, where he would just say expand and embrace, which meant just copy and steal <laughs> from everybody else. 
Ultimately, and it's always been a bit of the way of the, um, even I think Steve Jobs. Um, Software as well. It's easy to emulate. Influence from um, some thing called Xerox. <laughs> but um, let's, not, let's not talk about it. I mean, everybody gets inspiration from all places. But what Zuckerberg's done, he's done the same with um, Oculus. There was potential for virtual reality to really, really become something. And the Oculus unit where you don't need a computer to plug in and get a good VR experience. I have a quest here it was it, it's a cool piece of kit but it's so limited with yeah. what experiences are on it because as soon as he took it over after a while the original management and founders quit and then zuckerberg starts giving us metaverse with all these like soft toys floating around without yeah. a body and he's like this is going to be the future of meetings and how we're all going to interact with each other it's like no just give us more like star wars Darth Vader saber yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. I want to sit you on know, the couch and, and, and be in a spaceship and, and shoot stuff. You know, I want to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I want to. I want a good game. It's always experience. lame. It's always fucking lame. The the end result is lame as shit. That's the every fucking time. It's like yeah, we're gonna spend three billion dollars on this and increase the functions, and it's just like and now it's fucking lame. That's that's the end result every goddamn time. That that's all they know how to do is spend billions of dollars to turn something into lamesville. I'm tired of it. Well, I'm sure this. I'm sure sure there's someone quite high up inside facebook who's who's intentionally trying to sabotage that company because it would seem so when you see the latest advertising from meta you're like who is that person inside this company who wants to destroy zuckerberg <laughs> and everything around him because this is so bad it's so so bad and it's really cringe and my stepson's you know they're 12 and 9 they cringe they'll never use facebook they yeah, don't use they, they really don't. They yep. don't use Twitter. They don't use any. They, sure, they can have a profile, but they don't use it. They don't use WhatsApp now and again. They've gone back to how we used to be, like IRC style chat rooms. They're using Discord. They're in their Roblox games or whatever game it is they're playing, and they're using the chat servers within the game platforms. This is how they communicate. Yeah, They're is. all over YouTube. They know how to get the content that they want to watch. They know all the great content creators. So they're well within that universe. And they know every meme. They know every trend that's happening as it happens. They're so up to speed with anything that's happening on the internet as far as pop culture and internet pop culture goes. Um, they're not interested in Facebook. So, you know, I talk about it in the book. There is peak Facebook and we've gone past it and it is on its way down. And that's why we see the creation of Meta um, as a way to try and combat this. And so when Facebook goes down, it doesn't take it all down with it because it it's all under the same company name. Um, so here we go. Facebook is a big driver and Instagram obviously comes up a lot in the book. For example, you know, there's a chapter for each sin. There's so for example, Oh, there's a there's chapter, chapter for each sin. I get you, yeah. For each sin in the book. You know, I, I open up with an instruction. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. That's right. And then, um, then and part three you know, is all your base are belong to us. Yeah. I thought you'd like these little references. I you know, do. It's our generation. We've got I to get do. some original um, style project content in there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> some guy um, blowing so, his head off. Yeah, you know, and these... the. These seven sins, okay, even, for example, let's go through it, like lust. What do we focus on in lust? Well, first of all, you know, I'm taking it from the perspective of all these content moderators. You know, Facebook doesn't employ them directly at Facebook. Facebook employs now tens of thousands of content moderators through agencies who are getting paid 
a few dollars a day in some cases, up to minimum wage, depending whether they're in India or whether they're in the States. The wage can vary, but it's low pay. These people have to sift through the, the worst of the human experience possible, the worst of the worst. Really they have true. to deal with all the decapitation content, through all the kiddie porn, through all the violence, all the abuse, all the torture, all the snuff, which is uploaded tens of thousands of times every single hour yeah. of every single day yeah. to Facebook. Now, obviously, Facebook's doing the best that they can to try and um, stop this from getting out onto the timeline. And they have developed quite sophisticated system to flag this and automatically take it down but a lot of it doesn't get taken down it's different now from when i wrote the book it's got even tighter yeah because when i started writing the book it wasn't so long i guess after the christchurch massacre when it was live streamed you know yeah the new zealand guy who went into a a muslim church an australian guy a muslim church a mosque and uh, executed he put like gopros on his guns and and shot up a couple of mosques yeah now, this is in the chapter um, Wrath. Um, I talk about this incident. And you'll notice that Facebook Live has kind of disappeared <laughs> yeah. not so long after this event. That that feature's gone um, for good reason, because it wasn't just this one event. There'd been multiple events of um, either accidental shootings, live murders, um, suicides, um, all kinds of really, really dark um, snuff, ultimately, it's snuff. And so Facebook was coming one of the major stuff channels. Yeah. So let's go back to the to the last. So you got all these content moderators who are psychologically completely burnt out. There's a lot of bullying within the work environment. They're expected to deal with so many cases every single day of having to go through with no training, with no psychological support to filter all the worst of the worst of the content that is not even imaginable. What could he be on the platform? So. We start to look at that and then going into that, it's, it came up like the actual volumes of uh, pedophilic and child abuse content that is actually being uploaded to Facebook and Instagram every single day. I mean, the numbers are staggering. We're talking tens of thousands of pictures every single day and videos. And you think like, who didn't, don't they know about the dark web? Isn't that where they're supposed to be? What are they doing on Facebook? But they are, they're using this platform. There's 2 billion people using the platform. So yeah. there's a lot of fucking sick So even stuff. if it's a very small segment to go back to psychographic analytics, uh, yeah. there's the, the, uh, there's going to be a segment of, of, of really stupid pedophiles who will try to take advantage of the ease of access to Sharing content, post content, but then also targeting kids for grooming and trying to chat to them. And it's one of the it's it's the largest channel in the world for for grooming children. A lot of people will say like um, alternative uh, social networks. I looked a lot into them when I was still working at SoftBank, and be like, Gab is just a place for Nazis. And you're like, yeah, maybe uh, some. I don't know, but it's not like it's not like nobody is saying. Facebook is the pedophile grooming platform of the world. Like no one ever yep. says that. So which, why, why would Gab get so much more heat than Facebook, even though, you know, Nazis are bad, but, uh, you mm-hmm. know, keep your hands off the kids is more important to me, you know. And Instagram is a part of this too. Um, the example is, there's an imbalance as well. Um, yeah, I think girls are definitely more at risk um, for various reasons. We'll we'll look at that in a moment. But you can do a little experiment yourself. If you just go into Instagram, um, type in the hashtag Instagirls, 
yeah. see the result. See the result. Yeah, you're going to get over, I guess it's, uh, it was 8 million when I wrote the book, but I guess it's about probably 10 or 12 million results you're going to get back now for Insta girls. Do the same search, but for Insta boys, and you get about 2 million results. So when I did the research, it was 8, 8 million Insta girls, 2 million Insta boys. What you're going to see is semi-naked images of uh, pre-pubescent teenage, early young adults. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. Now, Instagram has a policy where the community guidelines state that they do not allow nudity on Instagram. So as long as you yeah. just put a tiny little bit of tape over over some sort of private part, uh, that's going to clear their amazing um, hurdle for uh, keeping kids safe. But if you just type in Sorry, the search word... If you type in the search word girl on Instagram, one of the top profiles you're going to get back is nude yoga girl. (laughs) (laughs) So can you see where we might be getting into a little bit of a gray area here? Um, You know, there's lots of trends like this where basically there's a lot of engagement from showing your skin and just like cheeky. It's it's pretty much nudity, yeah. Just hiding a nipple. It's not even. It's not even only nudity. I was um, reading this uh, <laughs> profile of a of a TikToker. She just. She's just like she, she's cute, but she's like fully clothed, and she's just like, "Hey, mm-hmm. I'm in Tokyo. I'm a Japanese girl. I'm here." She has five hundred thousand followers on TikTok. Eighty yeah. percent mm-hmm. or more are all men. And, yes. and, and so, and she's like, and I want more women to watch me. Obviously, it's like kind of weirding her out that it's just yeah. a whole bunch of weird men from around the world that just tune in and kind of, they're probably perving out on her, you know, even though she's not like this sex bomb, she's cute, but she's not wearing, yeah. you know, super crazy, you know, fuck me boots or something like that. And so it's like that goes back to the psychology behind all of this where, yeah, you have you have somebody who has 500,000 followers. They think they're amazing. 80% of them are male. And what does she do? She just kind of posts pictures of her face talking about life in Tokyo, you know? Yep. And that's the same one because, you know, the majority of these images that I'm talking about on the Instagirls hashtag are provocative. They're semi-naked, naked, or they're wearing skimpy underwear, little tight tops in a bedroom um, with like teenage posters on the wall and a, a bed full of plushy toys. And it's like, it, it's it's really f- freaky, you know, maybe emojis covering the nipples and that's it. Um, it doesn't leave much to the imagination. It's titillation. It's definitely, you know, it's not that I'm a prude, I'm against it. It's just, you know, the observation of like, hang on, your community guidelines say this, you say this platform isn't about this, but one of the main drivers of engagement on your platform is lust. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're in this really weird gray area between like, because so many teenagers use Instagram. There's another knock-on effect for girls here as well. You know, I just say there's regional versions of this Instagram thing. You can put hashtag check girl, hashtag Tokyo girl, hashtag wherever it is regionally, it will then bring up a sub feed of all this type of content as well. And you'll see the, the people like millions of followers of these accounts where it's just nothing but um, provocative, um, semi-naked selfie imagery. Um, and then their whole timelines is nothing but pictures of themselves as well. There's no other activity on there. Um, so this is this is freaky. <laughs> this is it's weird crazy. to me because it's a big part of it is actually driving this lust. 
The knock-on effects of it, though, has been, you know, the damage that it's proven that Instagram has, and other social networks, but it seems to be Instagram because it's an image-based site, where it's had this negative effect on teenage girls when it comes to body image. Now, this can be led by um, some of our uh, big-assed American celebrities, you know, who really, you know, Kardashians and whatnot, who really manipulated Instagram by just basically showing the fat asses on a channel, you know, um, and encouraging people to get ass implants. But, you know, this type of um, reinforcement of perfect body or body type, and then you see all these Instagirl images on top of it. It's put so much pressure on... But they're, they're, like, um, they're imperfect, perfect body types. It's like you have to yeah, have this I mean, gigantic ass, but a tiny little waist. It's, like, exa- it's Victorian-era level, like, you get to get yeah. some whale bones and make a corset now so you can go to your dinner party, you know? And, of course, everything is through the filter, isn't it? The physical filter of the app, but also the filter of um, whatever the latest um, body trend is coming from, mostly from the United States of America and from the commercial um, meat market of... Um, popular culture that comes out of America, which drives this imagery, um, be it through the fashion industry, music industry, um, film industry, or whatever of these so-called creative industries it is that's trying to promote and sell their latest product through this idea of body perfection. Makeup industry, I guess, being another huge one, makeup yeah. and beauty. Um, these people are paying a price for this because um, the sad fact is, is like um, too many. Um, Teenage girls and boys, but mostly girls, have been committing suicide as a result of this, of feeling insecure, of um, being, you know, having no self-worth, constantly looking at social media and seeing perfect body image and then having this knock-on effect of their own psychology where they um, have no self-worth, low self-esteem. Also then the knock-on effect of eating disorders and eating disorder fads that come from it, following fad diets that actually harm your body, or, you know, there's been a rise in bulimia, in anorexia as a result of this, directly as a result of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? yeah. N- nothing else. This is what it's been causing. <laughs> Sorry, so I didn't mean to laugh. No, I mean, there's the dark humor in it, isn't it? That um, sites that were meant to connect us and bring communities together. Yeah, it started off as that killing, one. Yeah, it's, 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 it's killing our children. It's killing kids. It's making yeah. kids kill themselves. Okay, so this is, you know... Governments are aware of it. There's many charities. You know, alarm bells have been ringing for a long time, but yet still the likes of uh, Meta, as we should call them, say, oh, no, we've got community guidelines. We're trying to do everything we can to help people. Yet the algorithms will pump up these Instagram pictures right to the top of your feed. Why I got angry, actually, one of the reasons I started to, my own wrath for this book is yeah. I was looking at Instagram and I was like, I'm following like bonsai pages and I'm following... I don't follow any of this type of content, Instagirls and stuff. Honestly, I wasn't looking at it until I did the research. But when I ever went to a suggested content, all I got was an endless feed of Instagirls and semi-naked people. And I'm like, Facebook, fuck you, because it's just because I'm a guy. Yeah, just because I'm a man yeah, of yeah, this yeah. age group. It's you're so pushing sh- this content to me. It's cheap. It's like, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this, yeah? It's not because I'm a prude. It's just, it just doesn't interest me. You can I see it anywhere you care. want. You can, There's a billion places where you can go to see it. But, when, yeah, when you open up something, it's like going into a store and they start pushing something else on you. You're like, I don't want that. Um, I was uh, going through your book today, and I just wanted to get you – 
to see if you could expand on some of these topics. Tinder ads. What was uh do you remember any of the anecdotes yeah. about Tinder advertisements and the the seven deadly sins for social media? Yeah, um I guess it's in the, the last section talking about swiping right and how um online dating it kind of changed people's behavior a little bit. And um sure, um I think when Tinder's first started, people were just using it to get laid. And but then more things came from it. People actually found, I guess, real and meaningful relationships. I mean, oh, yeah. I myself am married as a result of a of a Tinder um mistake by my wife. She she had just become single after um a divorce and she thought, okay, what's all this Tinder business about? And she she checked out Tinder and she didn't really know how to use it. She never used it before and didn't know the interface. And um, she accidentally um, super liked me <laughs> by accident. Wow. She didn't know she didn't know what the button meant. And I was actually that day um, planning to delete the Tinder because I'd only been using it honestly. I'd only been using it to uh, do some research. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah um, so um, yeah, I got the super like. I'm like, oh gosh, who's who's this beautiful Russian? lady sending me super likes this looks interesting and you know um four years later here we are with our with our first, first child together so um i guess there are some good stories that came out of tinder but congratulations also, thank you you know it, it's, it's 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 you know i'm very honest and open about it and very honest about my own life in this book because i think it's important um as part of the virtues to atone for our sinful behavior on social media that we actually become a little bit humble and, uh, you know, be honest with the, with ourselves, let alone everybody else. So, yeah, Tinder is a reason uh, for me being a happily married man. But also, um, we the did one, in the advertising... You're, you're just, the one happily married man from Tinder. I guess so. You, I did one. delete it. You're Unlike many other... I, I did delete it because I guess Tinder is mostly used by married men. Wow. Um, well, after that, after that app, that that affair app got hacked, and all, all, all the all, all yeah, the, exactly, so whatever the peach jar, or whatever it was. Um, there, there was there was an app in the Czech Republic, very unique to Czech Republic, where it would um, it was a bit like I guess they had one probably similar in the together. States. No, this one was um, basically um, how to call it to find you a um, a sugar daddy, like a sugar daddy type of site. Oh. So you would you would register on there as a as a as a rich bachelor or not, and then uh, all these uh, young students would uh, be looking for sponsorship. That's what they called it. So that that got shut down after a while because it's basically a prostitution ring yeah and I, I guess there's another little tinder thing where we actually um used it in the advertising industry so we were setting up um profiles to look like um available young single hot babes and and it turned out if you swipe right on it it would send you some messages promoting some film at the local cinema or something like this you know so that was some of the uh experiments that were done you know I don't think they really worked. I read that we, today, but when you tried. told me, it was so funny because I just read that. I was like, that's clever. But yeah, I could, when you talk about it, I would imagine myself, you, yeah, who's this hottie? You know, 5% well, I off. To, I it's all about <laughs> delivering develop. a coupon, isn't it? It's like we have these satellites exactly. in space and all this real-time mm-hmm. communication. Mm-hmm. And it'd be like, and then we'll send you a coupon, 50 cents off your next coffee. Now we're, and, uh, now we're in the game, guys. We're, we're doing it for real. 
<laughs> I think um, we even I even helped make a little Tinder bot that would actually write some messages to the person to try and make it look like they're really talking to someone. But nine times out of ten, the guys just knew it was fake because they were like, "You actually wrote to me." You know, like I sent you a dick pic and you actually wrote back, you know, this Uh, is suspicious. uh, Yeah, it was a lot of fun. The dry ice incident. Oh, yeah, this was, um, I guess it's two years ago. Is it two years? Maybe a year and a half ago. This this was a really tragic incident, you know. This was was a, a Russian influencer, so to speak. Very popular on Instagram in Russia. Um, she had a very popular blog. Um, her USP was that she was a pharmacist, strangely enough, and she, she um, promoted all different types of medicines um, for your family. You know, so what you should keep in your medicine cabinet. She's reviewing all these different medicines, like all these pills that she gives to her kids and all this cough medicine and stuff that they get high on. Um, and her husband, I think, was a physicist. You know, so they were like well-educated couple she she has millions of followers um and um she had a birthday celebration at a spa in um just outside of moscow i think it was and like everything that she did she filmed it and recorded it for her social media channels and her husband had arranged a a stunt where he filled up a swimming pool with dry ice to give this um, beautiful cinematic uh, special effect of everybody jumping into a pool with all this dry ice smoke. Now, you think a physicist and a chemist would realize that if you jump into a swimming pool full of dry ice, um, there's a really good chance you're going to die, <laughs> yeah? <laughs> um, because you're going to get carbon monoxide poisoning. Well, that's exactly what happened. They all dived into the pool, and the next minute, her friends and her husband a dropping dead she miraculously survived and this was for me you know tragic event a tragic example of how people use social media to, how to smart people become really dumb when they start putting a photo in front of their face with the idea of getting yeah, 30 just, or 50 likes it's crazy just to do to do more and more outrageous things to get more and more views like the likes, indian yeah, to- guys from india that would like try to take selfies in front of moving trains they're um, engineers exactly. And hanging out the window and getting their heads knocked off by the next lamppost or something, yeah. you know, like that. Now, but this this incident was got even weirder for me because obviously there was a backlash against her because people were saying how how ridiculously stupid this was because she she didn't give up her social media. She actually like milked the incident. She doubled down. Where on, on the same day, she's going on live feed crying with her using her children and using her grief to gain more followers while she was obviously getting media attention. And then for days onwards, she like, she, she just kept giving these updates and it seemed really inhuman that she wouldn't even grieve privately. She had to do it through her social media to carry on this um, addiction to uh, likes and engagement and views. Um, is this you know, what happens sense. when capitalism comes too quickly to people who've just left communism? Mm, I wouldn't. I'm not sure if there's a direct relationship to that because um, I honestly don't know. And sorry, you just have to pause one minute because the cat has decided to stretch sure. the door. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. Um, 
So I'm not sure if it's related to uh, like post-communist um, experience, but all I can it's say like from my experience... It's like to the extreme. Well, all I can say is that, you know, after communism here in the Czech Republic, people embraced the freedom, but they embraced the ideas of uh, Friedman and Margaret Thatcher, free market economy, all about entrepreneurship, you know, like self. But a lot of people then got into debt. So when they lived in a society where there was no debt, there was no ownership of uh, properties and business, suddenly you could get a loan to buy a house, buy a car, and then you, you go from suddenly not having to make mortgage repayments to having to make mortgage repayments every month. So that changes uh, the psyche of society a little bit. But I think Russia is still... Uh, in a unique place as it will be for a long time to come with uh, what its uh, what its uh, evil leadership has been up to most recently. That's but what I wanted let's say to... That, you know, let's just finish on her because uh, okay. just to close the story on her, and I, I'm sorry, um, you're picking the antidotes. I should have I, I should have checked her name before I start speaking about it because I can't remember uh, her I think name. there's a couple of S's, a Y, a K, and an A. Yeah, Svetlana or whatever it is. <laughs> Who cares? You can read the book and find it. But um, she, she, she then, um, six months later or even sooner, she finds a new fella and she's getting married again. And the next minute her Instagram is her all happy on some, on Mauritius or somewhere wow. beautiful on a beach. And, but still talking about her dead husband and the pool incident. And it's like, it's like, this is, this is, a, this is awful. This, <laughs> this is, is sociopathy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. You were talking about Russia just right now, and that's what I wanted to say. I have this weird link in my notes. In the book, you talk about social justice warriors because you, you attack both sides. You're apolitical. Mm-hmm. You're an atheist. Uh, and you're like, yeah, the these right-wing guys are bad. These left-wing people are also not all of them, but just in these two cases. Um, in the case of social justice warriors, I've noticed that with the uh, Russia invasion of Ukraine, which I condemn, and I also am aware that Ukraine is also not a perfect country. Uh, there's a lot of corruption there. Uh, a lot of uh, human trafficking goes on there. Uh, I'm sure it's also a, a great place, and I'd love to go there. I, I've I've played music in Japan with uh, Ukrainians. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually... A, my favorite people in the world are from generally... In ter- like East Eastern Europe, like between Russia and Germany, uh, down to whatever ocean you go to. Uh, but do you think that there's this like this uh, with the there's like a lot of social justice warriors suddenly going from uh, COVID lockdowns to we have to support Ukraine. Um, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Have you noticed that, like, that social media, in terms of Western social media, is basically weaponizing social justice warriors and their platforms to promote the Ukrainian side in this conflict? Honestly, I, I couldn't say at this this moment because it's still too active. Um, you know, anti-war movements get activated the moment the war starts. We saw when... The UK and the US invaded Iraq for the first time around. There was one million people came out to march against the war in London, probably one of the biggest anti-war protests we've seen in the UK. So there's always been a very strong anti-war movement. Um, I think now, obviously personified with people expressing themselves more through social media, 
to but be I mean, full like, people organic. in Peru had Ukrainian flags, like 30 like meter long yeah. flag. Like that's I mean, where how does everyone in the world suddenly have a Ukrainian flag? Like Ukraine is a country and they have you know embassies all over the world, I'm sure. But it's just like these are like really well, rinky dig pieces of paper with crayon on it. These are professional, right. like, it's like, where do these Ukrainian flags come from? And they're well, all suddenly on social media all over the place. The majority of the physical flags in the world are made in China. So China, yet again, is probably the winner <laughs> in this one when it comes to our um, obsessiveness with flag waving. I mean, I'm personally against flag waving because I think nationalism on all sides is the major issue, the major problem, the major driver of all this conflict. So personally, like, forget the flags. I think why, why are you waving a flag um, it's very simplistic, s- simple-minded gesture just to wave a flag. Uh, I mean, nationalism is the, the problems has caused all the major conflicts and problems since the fall of all the great empires. So, I, you know, it's an obsession that humankind has had in the 20th century, this development of nationalism and national identity and national pride and um, all the iconography and symbolism that, goes with that because a flag is just the standard isn't it it's just it comes back even to medieval military thinking and way before that most likely too um if we look back even further throughout human history so i'm always reminded of an eddie izzard sketch where he talks about um the british colonizing india and the the british step off the boat and uh, they say oh this is this is a nice this is a nice place. I think we'll take this. And the Indians say, no, you can't have this. It's ours. He goes, do you have a flag? <laughs> oh, you don't have a flag. Well, we have a flag. So this is ours. I mean, that was a, you know, a bad impression of Eddie Izzard. But this is one of the skits I always um, admired of his because he's absolutely right with what he's saying. So, yeah, it is interesting to see. But, you know, with any anything, any major event that happens, we can see how it can spread across social media really quickly. And I think the simplest thing people can do is try to identify a side. And we see polarization all the time through social media. I mean, it's a great tool and platform for polarizing people because this is where we get the conflict. And the more polarization and conflict there is, the more engagement there's going to be, the more time people are going to spend on the site um, arguing or assimilating, sharing, writing content that keeps people on the platform. So the the operators of the site are very happy about that. I mean, I don't identify with it personally. I, I, and it just to get to your question, I, I you know, it's spontaneous, I think. It's a spontaneous thing. I don't think there's a dark or some overarching force that drives it i just think it spreads uh, as a wave through the network so it's a signal that goes through the network and it's contagious it's it's a virus it's a viral thing and it's just a way of people i think identifying their perhaps disagreement or support for an issue um i'm not sure it's like exactly social justice warriors in a sense i think where you can see something like this is in um, more other issues that were quite topical. Um, say, for example, um, I guess more perhaps in, in Canada, in the United States and the UK, but now across, I guess, Western Europe and Eastern Europe too is um, issues around chan- transgender or um, pronouns and these types of issues that yeah. seem to be very toxic on social media. And that's something that I talk about in the book. Um, for example, how... The transgender movement 
um, has basically been hijacked by a group of quite, um, let's say, militant um, transgender activists, many of them who aren't actually transgender themselves that, or, or even a homosexual of any minority. They just feel that this is their cause and that they... Uh, um, I don't want to sound like Trump Jr., but triggered and ultimately offended all the time. Because, you know, the reason that Trump did get elected is there are, there are some things that he says that do resonate with a lot of people who are kind of a bit fed up with this uh, this world. And it, why um, uh, Mr. Jordan Peterson has had created such a massive following and sold tens of millions of copies of his, his book, um, 12 Rules for Life, and why his... YouTube videos have amassed such huge um, view counts because people were looking for someone like him for a long time. And the fact that he stood up to the Canadian government and gave them a good fight when it came to actually using legislation to dictate yeah, how to mandate you speech and yeah. mandate it. it's, it's, you know, it's dodgy territory. And it he's, really he's right. Is. I don't agree with everything he says, but I have read his books and I do watch his lectures and. Um, I find him to be a fascinating, fascinating guy, and Me too. Uh, it would have been an amazing um, professor. But he's gone a little bit more towards God these days, so he's, you know, bless him. He's uh, <laughs> seems to have a... you're not so interested in God lectures. No, but you know, he does do great lectures about the Bible. He always did, but now he's he's actually come out and said he's, you know, he's turned um, to the dark side and. But, you know, his wife has been very ill. So these moments he's had depression. And I think he just went on the Joe Rogan show too many times. And uh, now it's <laughs> now he's a bro. starting to get to him. You know? God, bro. we got to get back to God, bro. But anyway, you know, the, 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 the other examples I used in the book was the, um, the social justice. Um, uh, I'll just start again. The other examples I used in the book is um, social justice warriors, um, specifically in the UK, around the Labour Party. And the Momentum Movement, which was the core support base for Jeremy Corbyn, who was, I would say, um, could be described as the ultra left-wing Labour leader in recent years. Um, uh, he created, or his movement behind him created a very toxic atmosphere on through social media, through how they behaved, um, to the point where the Labour Party became known to be the completely um, anti-Semitic party, where there was so much hatred towards um, Israel and Jewish people and anybody else who disagreed with them, um, i.e. them, the momentum, um, that it, it um, became a big problem that politicians are actually um, being asked to leave from the Labour Party, the big yeah. investigation into bullying. and It didn't get um, a lot of media attention internationally, but... Not internationally. Uh, in the UK, it was a big, a big thing. Um, and momentum was, just to say, the momentum was, uh, in the beginning, was an amazing... Um, piece of political strategy where they um, activated and motivated a younger generation of people through social media to get involved in national politics. Right. So the Labour Party had brought in all these new young members to vitalize the party and to actually become very savvy on social media. They knew how to make names, you know, they could make shit posting, they knew how to use all the channels, they made good content. Um, so it, it looked very interesting at the beginning, but then it just basically got out of control with um, a core group um, basically being a bunch of racist fucks, like, you know. So it doesn't really help um, when it comes to politics. So but it's really all, crazy on, how all, this... under though, Matt, all under the guise, though, Matt, of social justice as if they were fighting for some type of social justice. So you can't detriment 
social justice can't go against one person against the other, can it? Surely it's social justice for everybody and one minorities group can't suddenly override somebody else's rights and freedoms and freedom of speech. So it's, Software connects people like laterally. Hardware usually connects people vertically because if you have like a cable and you need to find someone to connect the cable to, it's all hmm. really related. But as soon as you start like going into a software, internet software, you you end up cross-linking across a, a giant segment of the population that you are completely unfamiliar with. And then there's going to be a segment within those people who, who are able to hijack it and integrate it uh, because those people that are like engineers or whatnot, or, or looking to, you know, just have a conversation, they're not aware of, uh, uh, of the hijacker that's going to come in and, and consolidate power within them. So well, yeah. that's what I really noticed when I was uh, doing the AI class, AI school at SoftBank is up, up until that these people were working in AI, they were working in, in, in telecommunications infrastructure. So it was all <laughs> just like the same dude. But as soon as you go into AI and software and cloud computing, now you got to be connecting with some bureaucrat in London who's gonna who's gonna feed you a couple of engineers from from ARM or something like that, and they're gonna be very different from what you're used to. So, yeah, it's like these people kind of walk in with these ideas, like we're gonna use the internet to connect people. But as soon as you do that, there's all these people that you've never met before who know how to screw you. Yep. And the thing about connections is interesting. The guy who actually founded Momentum is a guy called Jonathan Landsman. And yes, that is a Jewish name. He's a very well-known British-Jewish political activist for the Labour Party. So this was a, a strange situation that he creates a movement that then turns out to be this uh, massive anti-Semite uh, Jew-hating <laughs> group of people, um, or, you know, all because of um, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, eternal support for the struggle of the Palestinian people, which, yeah. you know, um, is obviously uh, could always be seen as a just cause. But when it gets to this level where it detriments against people National on the other side of, within your own country. of Israelis, you're not going to solve the, the Middle East issues over a few Facebook posts. Are you? I mean, come on. A couple of blokes <laughs> in Wales. So it's going to take a little bit more. It needs to be dialogue and peace between both sides, not fighting against each other. So anyway, all right, Roy, that's we, where we, we actually got to we got to stop. We got to. I'm, I'm overdue. I'm, my my studio time is up. So uh, where can people find you? Hey, um, RoryWilmer.com, My name, my site. Um, you can find me on Twitter, and you can search for social media and Seven Deadly Sins on Amazon. Um, be appreciated you know um, or just drop me a line if you don't have the money to buy the book but you're interested just send me a line and i'll send you a pdf copy no worries be happy to do that all right remember to check it out it's a great book there's a lot of content it's well documented and well sourced uh i've read it a couple of times now and i recommend it highly roy wilbur thank you for being on the japan wood podcast thank you very much matt it's my pleasure cheers bud sayonara Oops.